0: Boy, I love that first choir song. The uh, the end of the beginning. There's there's more. There's something new. Uh, the, telling the story that that this is the story that you have got to hear. Right. That the story that, that where God has revealed himself, that God has shown himself, that some people think about this as a, as a book of rules. We think about this as a, a book, a, a collection of, of being told what to do and, and stories that illustrate the things that we're told to do. But this is, a, this is a book where God has shown himself to us. He's revealed himself. This is God's story, and it's a, at first it's a mystery. And then as we get the, the thrust of it, it's a, it's a tragedy. And then it's a, as we really get what what that tragedy does and what it accomplishes and where it goes, the mystery that the tragedy becomes a, a triumph. Oh, what a story! This is a story that we've got to hear. It's a story that Jesus told his disciples, and he told them ahead of time. He told them in advance that the Son of God must must suffer and be rejected and be and be killed, and yet on the third day he must he must rise from the dead. And yet, surprisingly. Surprisingly, his disciples, even after his resurrection, I think of Peter and John running to the empty tomb. First, it was those women who came to the tomb early in the morning, not expecting resurrection, expecting to, to honor their Lord one last time, anointing his body for burial. They come to the tomb, and yet the tomb is open. The body's not there. At first, they think somebody has stolen the body. And, they, and the disciples, uh, they run, they go and they tell the disciples and Peter and John run to the tomb and they go in and they believe that something has happened. But we're not sure what they now believe. But, the, but it tells us there in John chapter 20 that they didn't yet understand the scripture. They did not yet understand the scripture that Jesus must rise from the dead. It says that Jesus must rise from the dead, not that he could rise from the dead, not even that he will rise from the dead, but it says that Jesus must rise from the dead. I want to talk about that this morning. Why is it that he must rise from the dead? What is it about this thing we know as resurrection? What is it really all about it was the author C.S. Lewis who said that, that um, Christianity, if it's false, is of no importance. And if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. If that's true of Christianity, it can't be moderately important. It's either of no importance or it's of everything importance. If that's true of Christianity, that's true of the resurrection. The resurrection, if it's only a story, if it's only a myth, if it didn't really happen, it's of no real importance. But if he is risen, just as he said, then it is not merely of some importance. It is of every importance. It is the essential. It is the game changer. It is the life changer. It's the end of the beginning, and it is a new beginning all over again. I was... um, I had I had a great day yesterday. Wasn't yesterday a beautiful day too? I had a dental appointment. <laughs> right in the middle of the day at one twenty. Now wasn't that poor planning? Oh, who knew it was going to be like that? And so there I was, and the uh, wonderful people at the dental clinic on that day. I, I we we were suffering together, and 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 they were saying, "Oh well, do you do you?" do you have any big plans for this weekend? And I said, oh, yes, it's Easter. And, uh, and, she, and she says, oh, well, are you going to an Easter egg heart hunt or something? I said, well, no, but I'm going to church. I said, I, this is the biggest Sunday of the year. I said, this is the Sunday that makes every Sunday special. If it wasn't for Resurrection Sunday, then the rest of the Sundays would be no different than Monday. Imagine that. Why resurrection? Why that change? What the difference? What has it done? That's what I want to talk to you about this morning. In in the book of First Corinthians, there's a chapter in First Corinthians, we kind of know it as the resurrection chapter, because there the writer deals with this question. What difference has the resurrection made? Why resurrection? Why was it that he must be risen from the dead? I want us to turn to first Corinthians. Chapter 15, if you're using one of our pew Bibles this morning, then you'll find me on page 815. Page 815, that's 1 Corinthians 15, and I'm going to read, the, read uh, verses 3 and 4. We're going to just uh, go, go a couple of verses here and there, verses through this chapter. I'd love for you to go back and read the whole chapter, but w- we want to see from this chapter why resurrection, what difference Does it make? What difference will it make? What difference could it make? First of all, it is a big deal. Jesus must rise from the dead. Look at verses 3 and 4 of 1 Corinthians 15. For what I received, I passed on to you of first important essentials, foundations, first principles. There it is, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And he was buried. It was a real death, a real burial. He died. And that he was raised on the third day. According to the scriptures, and he appeared, he was seen. He was not just, the body is gone, he was really raised. He was, he was seen, he was handled, he was touched, and he ascended into heaven. According to the scriptures. You see, Jesus must rise from the dead because, if nothing else, God said so. He must rise from the dead because God said he would. And what I want you to know this morning is in the midst of whatever in life, in the midst of where you need resurrection, God keeps his promises. I'm going to take a few minutes here and just do a a quick survey. Where is this resurrection then in the Old Testament? Where is this resurrection through the Bible if, according to the scriptures, he was risen and those scriptures then were not our gospels that that give us the record of it, but they're the Old Testament that pointed toward his rising? Let's take a quick look at that. Let me, because the song was the end of the beginning, let me begin with the beginning. In the beginning with rebellion and death, God creates humanity in his own image, but humanity so quickly rebels against Him and, and goes their own way. says, we want to know good and evil. We want to be even as God ourselves. And God had warned them, in the day that you eat that fruit, you will surely die. Wait a minute, they lived longer than that. They continued living, and then they, they, had, they had sons and daughters, and they didn't die that day. But that very day, they were separated from God. They enter into this experience of death, which is not merely an end of existence. Death is not merely the end of human life as we know it. There's a reason we experience that. But, but death is separation. And in the end of human life, there's the grief, isn't it? That's the hurt. That's the cost. That separation of loved ones that probably everybody in this room has experienced. That ripping apart of that love relationship, separated in death, whether it's a child, whether it's a spouse, whether it's a parent, whether it's a dear friend, separated. The day that you eat of that fruit, you'll be separated. And what happened that day is they are separated from God, and they are, are pressed out of the garden, away from God's presence, separation, and yet In the midst of that separation, now living in death, Adam gives his wife a name. He calls her Eve. It means the living one or the life giving one because out from her all those living will be born. In the midst of death, there is hope of living. Abraham, a little further in Genesis, Abraham believed that God would keep his promise, even if it meant giving him his son Isaac back from the dead. Job, probably about the same time, probably in the same era as Abraham, early in the book of Genesis, Job says it this way. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God, who I will see for myself with my own eyes. My own eyes will behold him, even after death. You know, there's a TV show, Bones. But the original Bones, I would call Joseph Joseph was that patriarch who was ahead of the rest of his family there in Egypt, and Joseph, before his death, he has been raised up out of prison to be the prime minister of of Egypt, and he is used by God to be a savior of his family, a savior of God's people. And Joseph, before he dies, at a ripe old age, Joseph gives instructions to his brothers concerning his bones that God is going to raise up our people. God is not going to leave us buried in Egypt. God is going to raise us up and bring us out into a land that he's promised us. And God is going to raise us as well. And when you are raised up out of Egypt, I want you to take my bones with you. Because he said, there's, there's, there's a coming resurrection. There's a coming fulfillment of God's promises, and he wanted his bones to be there. And so Moses comes along, and that exodus is about to happen, and God introduces himself to Moses, and he says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jesus points to that line, and he says, you don't believe in resurrection? Well, is God, isn't God the God of the living, not the dead? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob aren't gone. David expresses it this way a hope in God's resurrection in Psalm 16. My heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. My flesh dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or hell or death. You will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. You make known to me in the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. You will not abandon me to death. You will not allow your Holy One, your Messiah, to undergo corruption. He will be raised. Even David saw it a thousand years before. Isaiah declares it true for God's redeemed people. Your dead shall live. Their bodies shall rise. You will dwell in the dust. Awake and sing for joy. Your dew is a dew of light. And the earth will give birth to the dead. Wow. Ezekiel, Ezekiel, that colorful prophet. God asks him a question. God shows him a vision of this whole valley strewn with dried up, scattered bones. And he asked the prophet a question, Son of Man, can these bones live? Ezekiel's a pretty clever guy. He says, Lord, you know. We well, don't know. I don't know. And then maybe, maybe you've heard the story before. But he says, speak to the bones. Speak to those bones. There's no ears on those bones yet, but he says, speak to those bones. And then out of that, pretty soon Ezekiel starts singing. The leg bone connected to the knee bone. The knee bone connected to the thigh bone. thigh. Bone. And hear the word of the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. Hosea picks up on that theme. He says, after two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up. On the third day, Esther arose and went into the king's present presence to plead for mercy, for mercy. people our lord jesus on the third day rose from the dead and he ascended into the throne room of the king of glory the king of heaven and there he ever lives to make intercession for you and for me isaiah 53 verse 10 to 12 says when his soul makes an offering for guilt in his death he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days. How is that after he dies? He will divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul unto death. You see, Isaiah 53 is not just about the sufferings of the Messiah. It is also about his resurrection. All through the Old Testament, over and over and over again, this is a story of hope. This is a story that Jesus Christ must be risen from the dead. Why? Because God keeps his promise. We need to know that. You go through some stuff that feels like death more than life, and you need to know. I need to know God keeps his promise. The first thing, why resurrection? Because God keeps his promise. Resurrection is central to God's promise in the Old Testament. It is central to the one in whom God's promise will be fulfilled, and that is Christ himself. It's not just that Jesus could rise from the dead, it's not just that he would, but he must rise from the dead because God keeps his promise. And so Jesus himself comes along walking into the New Testament. He comes to a funeral procession, the widow of Nain. And it's her son. She's already a widow. She's already lost her husband and now she has lost her only son. And this this is like the story of Ruth and Naomi all over again. And yet Jesus is a better Boaz. Jesus raises up her son right out of that coffin, right out of that funeral procession. Talk about ruining a party. And he gives her son back to her alive. Jesus comes to the tomb of his dear friend, Lazarus, in John chapter 11. And there he finds the two sisters, Mary and Martha. And they say, Lord, if you had been here, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Have you stood there with them? Have you stood there in the broken pieces of a shattered dream? Have you stood there in the ashes of despair and ruin hope and said, God, where were you? God, if you had been here, but you weren't. Jesus is there. In fact, Jesus is going there further than anyone has gone. Jesus is going into death itself for us and returning again. And so Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. But you know that's not enough. She says, oh, I know he'll rise in the last day. But but distant hope of prophetic truth is no good here now. That distant, distant hope doesn't help her today in the midst of the grief and the loss of her son. And he says, no, no, no. You don't realize I am the resurrection and the life. The one who, who believes in me will never die. The one who believes, though the, who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Because we need to believe that. We need to know that he is the resurrection. He, and how does he prove it? How does he show it? How does he demonstrate it? He speaks those words, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus has no more ability to object than that valley full of dry bones that Ezekiel speaks to. Lazarus rises up and Lazarus wiggles out, still wrapped in the grave wrappings. But now he has new life. Now he is changed. And so Jesus says, take off that old, loose him and let him go. Loose him and let him live. Do you believe that? And so Jesus himself presses toward the cross, heads toward resolutely, determinedly, into the worst death that humanity would experience. It is death with eyes wide open. It is death having known the best of sweetest of fellowship with God the Father all through eternity. And yet that is going to be cut off. That is going to be broken. That is going to be ruined as all of the weight of the world is on his shoulders all of the sin and the guilt of the world of you and I is on his shoulders and yet he goes there for us knowing that you will not allow your Holy One to undergo decay knowing that on the third day he will raise us up Jesus and the, on the cross can say to his father into your hands I commit My spirit because he must be risen why because God keeps his promise you and I need to know that if we get nothing out of else out of Easter we need to know that that our God keeps his promise but if God keeps his promise if resurrection makes all the difference because God keeps his promise what difference does it make what difference does it make what is that what's what's the outflow of that promise what's the result of the promise that God keeps I think of three, and these are the three I want to quickly scan through in 1 Corinthians 15. The first we'll find is in verses 17 and 18. 17 and 18 of 1 Corinthians 15. If Christ has not been raised, he turns it around. He says, okay, let's assume for a minute the resurrection didn't happen. If Christ was not raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Those who have fallen asleep, those who have already died in Christ, they would have perished. But if Christ is risen from the dead, then your guilt is gone. Because God keeps his promise, because of resurrection, your and my guilt is gone. You see, sin separates us from God. My God, my God, Jesus cries out, why have you forsaken me? Experience that separation of death for us. It is finished. He's raised again on the third day. He ascends. He sits down at the right hand of the Father on high. Wait a minute. Our sin separated him him from his Father. Our sin upon his shoulders caused God himself to forsake his Son. But now he's raised. Now he's ascended. Now he sits down at the right hand of the Father on high. How can that be? Our sin is gone. Our guilt is gone. It has been forever put away. An eternal death is big enough to to pay for, to put away, to put as far as the east is from the west, all of our sin. Your and my guilt is gone. Because of the resurrection, the difference it makes is that our guilt is gone. We don't need to earn approval. You know, we have it worked into us that we earn approval from others by our performance. It's drilled us to us in life. It starts with toilet training, doesn't it? Yay, you performed. Look what you accomplished. And then we get in the Little League. And there's trophies. And there's prizes. And and they get bigger and better the better you perform. And it's worked into us. And by the time you get in the workaday world, there is no hope left. You are convinced that everything you will receive is what you have earned based on your performance. But with God, there's nothing I can do to earn there's no approval to be earned by my performance. With guilt gone, I can lay that aside. I can lay aside that sense of guilt that separates me from God. I can lay it aside and, and not have that come between me and my Savior. Maybe there's something in your mind this morning you would say, I would like to be closer to God. I would like to be able to pray. I would like to know that God is with me, that He will give me help in the midst of the day, and yet I don't feel worthy for that. If, if I performed better, maybe, how about, how about if we will confess and claim God's forgiveness? God, I am accepted in Christ. My guilt is completely gone, not because of what I do, but because of what Jesus has done for me. And his resurrection proves it. He he dies for our sin. And Romans chapter 4 says that he's raised because of our justification that I and you have been made right with God just by trusting in him. That's what resurrection has done. Our guilt is gone. Our guilt is forever put away. And if guilt or performance cause us to hide from one another, cause us to hide from God, we we put on this facade. We keep up appearance. No, everything is really okay. No, I've got it together. And we work so hard and the stress builds up of trying desperately To keep it together because we want each other to think that I've got it together but if you and I could just agree to admit and to confess that you and I desperately need a Savior and if we could embrace that if we could if we could rest in that even among ourselves that leaves all kinds of room then for forgiveness between one another as well. That leaves all kinds of room for grace and acceptance. Not trying to earn one another's approval as well. I will love you. You will love me. We will embrace one another. We don't have to hide. Confession is a freeing thing. Being, admitting that I don't have it all together. I can't. I'm helpless to get it all together. It's a freeing thing. But when I keep the facade, when I try to deny My guilt. I keep up an appearance and said, Sin is like mold. That which stays hidden has a secret place to grow. And it just grows and expands and spreads and pollutes. That which stays hidden in the dark has a secret place to grow. But a person who practices grace because they know they need it themselves, a person who practices, who lives in and gives out forgiveness, is far more attractive. others than a person who because of their own insecurity is is judgmental and condemning of the people around them condemning of others because they're condemned themselves what difference does resurrection make our sin is gone our guilt is is gone. Because God keeps his promise, our guilt is gone. And because God keeps his promise, death itself has been defeated. Look at verses 20 and 21 of that same chapter. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, those who died. He talks about death in terms of sleep because it's temporary, it's a waking up from thing. We will be raised because Christ was raised. He was raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are fallen asleep. And that first fruits means the guarantee of the rest to come. As surely as the first was raised, those who are in him will also be raised. Christ the first fruits, after that, words, all who are Christ at his coming, we will be raised. Death itself has been defeated. Now, for those of you that have passed midlife, that's good news, isn't it? <laughs> we're already feeling we're already feeling the reminder of our mortality aren't we oh my yeah physical death reminds us of spiritual death one of the reasons we experience that one of the, why does God allow to remind you that you are not well don't forget that death has separated and so he has, he, has, he has left humanity in this place of our limited mortality that we would know and that we would even have the experience of evil, of death, that we had stepped into. But in that experience, now God uses that. Now God turns that and uses that to cause us to hunger for something more. Every time you stand by a graveside, every time you mourn the loss of someone dear to you and you say it shouldn't be like this, you are agreeing with God. And yet death has been defeated. Christ has been raised. He's become the first fruits of those who sleep. And in those reminders of our own mortality, we have hope that death has been defeated. How to? I asked some ladies this week, what does that look like for women? You know, I know what it looks like for men. I've seen the ad on TV, you know, and the guy with the, with the muscle car and he's getting some prescription. Yeah, I know what it looks like for, for men past middle age. I said, what does it look like for ladies? Well, they said that actually we're more concerned about, about fit and trim. So when the, when the ladies go to curves and when they're buying clothes... And when they're spending more time at the cosmetics counter at makeup, that's because they realize that their mortality is catching up with them. Yeah, you you gentlemen dare not laugh. That's right, good move. But show me a man with a comb, comb over and driving a 1960s muscle car, and I'll show you a man in midlife crisis who knows that his mortality is catching up with him. Right? Yeah, we know, we feel it. When you're young, you don't realize you, you're going to live forever. No, you're not. Except that, because of resurrection, death is defeated. Our future is not in the hands of Kaiser Permanente, Legacy, or Peace Health Southwest. No, our future, our immortality, is in the hands of the risen Savior himself. When this corruption must put on incorruption. When this mortal must put on immortality and then will be brought about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, boy. Death defeated opens up a new way to new life where I can give myself away. Psalm 27 says, Lord, is my life and my salvation. Whom will I fear? Of whom will I be afraid? What do I have to grab on and hold in for myself? Nothing. I can relax. I can let go. I can live in new life. The third piece that I want you to know, why resurrection? Because God keeps his promise. Because God keeps his promise, guilt is gone, death is defeated, and there's a new life to live. There is a new life to live. We are not just waiting around someday for that day. We are already stepping into it. We are already nibbling around the edges. We are already stepping into experiencing first fruits. It's called spirit fruit of that risen resurrection life of Christ in us already right here in the now. There's a new life to live. First Corinthians 15, 32 says, If the dead are not raised, again, he's playing the other side of the question, If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. That's one way to live. And that is the way to live if this is the only life to live. But if if this life is just the preface, if this life is just the beginning, and the beginning will have an end, but the end of the beginning will be the entrance into eternity, that puts a whole other spin on this life. That's a whole other look. That's a whole different perspective on what I'll do with the beginning. Because this is merely the first taste, the first fruits of what will stretch into eternity. And I don't have to fear anything. Whom shall I fear? Of what will I be afraid? I can hold things in my hand loosely. I don't need to grab and hold on as if I'm going to need all of this stuff. I better fill my garage. I better build a bigger barn. I better put in more shelf. I need more storage because I'm going to need all of this stuff to somehow get me through. No, I don't need any of it to get me through. Because Christ is risen, I will be risen. Because God keeps his promise, there is a new life to live. And it's a life that looks beyond me. It's a life that doesn't need to say, if I'm only going to go around once, I better get all out of this ride that I can. No, no. I can look beyond death into a glorious day. I see the present in a new light. Romans 8, Romans 8, verse 11 says this. One of my favorite verses. If the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, If the Spirit of a living God who raised up Jesus from the dead, the life-giving Spirit, if that Spirit dwells in you, He will give life to your mortal bodies. And that is not a verse that is promising future resurrection. No, that is a verse that is promising the very life of the risen Savior, the life of God Himself already lived out, already presently experienced in these weak, fleshly, mortal bodies. Not perfectly. Oh, it'll be better than this, don't worry. But... Here's first taste. This is first chance. This is opportunity already to step into what will be forever. He will give life already in these mortal bodies. Ephesians 2.10 puts it like this, that we are his workmanship, created now in Christ Jesus, risen in Christ Jesus, made in Christ for good works that God has already planned out that we would walk in them. We are God's workmanship to already experience living in God's works. That's the motto of our men's ministry. That's why they do this summer of service thing. Be thinking about that already? Who around you could we help in the name of Christ? Because we want to step into those giving ourselves away kind of works of ministry. Because that's how we taste. Not for me, but when I give myself away, that's where I'll taste this new life that he's already given us. It's a new life to live now. Why resurrection? Because there is a new life to live. Choices made in the light of that resurrection life it means I can choose now. I can make decisions now based on what's going to preserve me for the present, or what is. How will I, how will I give myself away like Jesus did? Comp- con- confident in God, knowing that even as He, I can entrust into His hands my spirit, my life, my eternity, because God keeps His promises. That puts a whole another spin on caring for children. Devotion to my wife. Integrity at work. It's not merely a social contract now. It's not merely I'm going to give because I'm going to get. No, I'm going to give myself away for the good of others. That's what the life of Christ in you looks like. And when that's that's lived out in marriage, when marriage is no longer an exchange and a contract and a 50-50 sort of agreement, when it's I give myself away for you because that's how I live in Christ, that's how I worship him, oh my, life has changed. When work is not merely, as the song used to say, working for the weekend, when my work is a place where God has set me, and in the midst of all the troubles of it, there I can give myself away for the sake of Christ. There I can demonstrate integrity, even when it costs me, because that shows off Jesus in the midst of this world. Work has changed. Work is different. Work has already pressed up into eternity. I can give my life away. As Jesus said, the one who holds on to it loses it. But the one who loses life for my sake, because he has confidence in eternity, that's the one who finds life. That's what life is supposed to look like. It's kind of like this. Maybe you heard about the New Jersey truck driver. You bet the New Jersey truck driver who won the $338 million lottery. That was a problem couldn't collect it he couldn't collect it because he owes there's a warrant out for his arrest he owes $29,000 of back child support now do you suppose he's gonna say well that'd be wonderful I'd sure like to have those millions but I," I bet he found a way he is already organized it's already worked out how the back child support is going to be paid right Because there is a whole new future stretching off before him. I have a feeling the child support is probably going to be renegotiated as well. (laughs) But why would I hold on to, why would I be held back by when there is this whole new life that is stretched out before me? What difference has resurrection made? What difference has resurrection made for you? can you say this morning my guilt is gone that's what the resurrection holds out to you first of all and foremost that your guilt can be gone that which you know that which you hide that which is your shame is gone in Christ do you fear death we can feel it coming we can hear its footsteps on the stair are you afraid Or is that merely the entrance into the presence of God, where, as David said, it is fullness of joy? Do you live in that new life? What difference has resurrection made, Christian? Do you live in that new life? Because when you give your life away, there's where you'll find it. And those were the words of Jesus, who then did what? He gave his life away and found it not only for himself, but for all of us as well. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for new life in Christ. We thank you, Father, that indeed you have kept your promise that Jesus is risen from the dead. And Lord, now then, we we respond to you by holding our lives in open hands, saying, God, would you use us? Lord, even this offering is an opportunity where we would say, Lord, use us. We trust ourselves to you. And so we can freely give in a way that will be used for your gospel so that others can have this life as well. Father, thank you for those who are visiting this morning. Lord, I pray even at this time of offering that they would just let us know how it is that we could, in Jesus' name and in his risen life, how we could serve them too. Thank you for your glory. Thank you for the cross. But most of all, thank you that you have kept your promise in resurrection. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.